You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I am one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm the other host, Roger Gaddis. And today, we are going to come through on a promise we've made to you, our listeners, that we would come back and talk more about spreads, a little more in depth. Yeah, and it it seemed like only yesterday that we were talking about spreads, but it was actually a year ago. (laughs) That's right. So, we, and it might have been yesterday, depends on how you listen to podcasts, Uh, you can... Go back and it's listen 2020, to 2020, man. Everybody defines their own uh, future and time. There you go. So we kind of went through the basics of spreads, carries in versus what they what they are, and that sort of thing. Uh, but spreads are very important to the the merchandiser, the the uh, the grain elevator merchandiser. So we wanted to delve a little deeper into all the stuff that comes along with spread management. So all the all the stuff on the periphery that comes up and then and then also just the the specialty specialty things. So Jason, you went back and listened to that episode. What catch us up here? What did we talk about? Did we talk about like how to uh ma- quote unquote measure spreads, how to figure out if they're good, what's a good spread? Didn't we didn't we discuss that? Uh, this would be a great topic to discuss uh, when we weren't recording the episode, <laughs> Roger. But, but here we are. <laughs> yes, we talked. We talked through carry spreads. We talked to how how um, elevators capture the carry in the market, and then uh, also how how farmers can do so by selling ahead, at, whether it's on forward contracts or even maximizing their the margin they make from their. Uh, from using farm bins and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Good stuff. Excellent stuff. So uh, one of the things we talked about is how elevators, uh, typically you think, hey, big carries are years elevators make lots of money. And years where the market's flat or inverted, elevators probably don't make as much as a, as a, as a general rule. That, however, is a myth. Patently false. Yeah, and, uh, and and Roger, you shared with us how actually in those years were some of your best years as a as a grain merchandiser, margin-wise. Sure, and, and <clears throat> I think this year could be a, an example, at least in the corn, looking that way in the wheat, not so much in the beans, but you're, you're going to have the opportunity a lot of years to trade both sides of the of the spread curve, if you will. You know, you're, you, you have years where you've got some carries, you got some years where you got some inversions happening within the same season, and they may not happen concurrently. You know, there's a good chance. Like right now, corn, July sep corn's a small inversion. We get out there, it's like it'll be a small carry. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a muted example, but it's still, there's a chance to trade both sides of that. Are you making a prediction of what the spread will do? <clears throat> I am stating a case that both things can happen. Ah, Typical broker talking out of both sides of my mouth. That's that's what I'm doing. Well, I mean, it, and and it's as we've discussed before that the market structure, 
So if we got carries or we got inverses, just tells tells you the merchandiser at the grain elevator, is it more valuable right now to carry money or is it more valuable to carry grain? And uh, so each each day as the market changes, uh, carries inversion inversions like you know get greater carries or become more flat. It, it tells you how bad it wants, and then you can, as a merchandiser, select at any point in time. Yes, I will accept that carry for for my storage. And I think it's important to point out right now we are specifically talking about futures carries in these examples. Yeah. However, there are also basis carries and inversions, cash price carries and inversions, and in, in a bit. So this year, corn uh, in some areas of the country was in short supply. And you have a carry structure on the futures board, uh, still do, at least through July right now. And uh, in a lot of markets, you have cash bid inversions. You have basis inversions essentially taking away some of that carry that the board gives you in the name of keeping supply moving in the front months. So, you, again, it, it, making sure we got our terminology straight here, you've got different mechanisms that both served the purpose of bringing grain to market, but showing different signals based on overall supply and demand and local movement or lack thereof. Yeah. So a few, a few big points I'd like to hit today. Uh, first one being, okay, carries and inverses. I mean, we, we, we know what the differences are between, between them from the other episode, but what, which one has more risk to it and why, and that sort of thing. So, I think we can start with the the general concept of full carry. So what does that mean? Me? Oh, me. I thought maybe he was asking Randy. So essentially, uh, this gets kind of dicey, but, you know, the way I looked at it, um, as I was not a participant in the delivery system ever in the years I was at the elevator, to me, full carry was a cost of interest um, plus insurance, you know, each month. So like right now where corn's at, it's costing about two cents a month to carry the stuff. Now, the other line is the full commercial carry, which is takes into account the CME storage delivery rates uh, and, and things of that nature added to that cost of interest. And it's a little bit higher uh, or a fair bit higher, you know, depending on how you look at right. it. Right. So the because that exists and people do those calculations, it's a it's a theoretical thing, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's stuff professors try to figure out or economists, I should say. Uh, and, and it's real real fun math to do. Uh, that it's not complicated math, so that's that's always fun for a couple of guys from Arkansas. Converging math that <laughs> we don't have to do hard math, but the yeah, exactly as Roger says, the cost of the interest to buy grain, carry it forward. If you we're just some guy sitting in a high-rise office on the coast somewhere. Which coast? It doesn't matter. Just one of them. Just can't be Pick in the middle. One. That's right. And you're sitting in a, a nice fancy office, and if you can take ownership through the delivery system, re-deliver it later on the next futures contract, and so pay the storage rates and pay the interest on the money because you have to buy that corn or beans or rice or whatever we're talking about, carry it forward and and then pay it later and then re-deliver it on the next futures contract if you can do all that and still make money above that then we've gone over a hundred percent of full carry and so anybody anywhere can do that if they if they have the 
the money to. And <clears throat> so there's a theoretical limit. So like once we get above that, everybody will just Trade arbitrage it out. it out. Yeah. Right. So so because of that, so because of that general concept, there is a limit to how big a carry can be from one month to the next. So if we're talking corn, a DSMARCH corn spread can only theoretically get to that limit of whatever interest costs to buy corn and carry it for three months and to pay storage for three months. So whatever that adds up to, say it's 25 cents. I don't, I don't know, but I'm just pulling numbers. But you just add all those numbers up and say the DSMARCH corn spread can only get to about 25 cents or else people will step in and just take mm -hmm. the money. Mm-hmm. It's free. It's just laying out there. So it has a cap. It has a cap. Right. Conversely or inversely. Oh, wow. Inversions have no cap. They can go on forever and give a lot of validity to the old saying that the market can can stay uh, uh, irrational longer and you can stay liquid. Yes, sir. Enter the inversions. And you know, the we, you know, most years has some form of an inversion in one of the three major markets or four if you count rice. You know, so, so there's an inversion floating around there somewhere at any given time. <clears throat> years when we have a, a shorter supply or higher demand with regular supply, whatever the combination may be, you know, we see them generally in the, in the end of trading season, marketing season months, transition months. Beans used to be the big example of that. And as far as the example, we talked about the last time we were talking about spreads, uh, the Nov May bean spread from 12 to 13, we got crazy wide to $2.36 inversion or something. And it was a wild ride and stuff. So that didn't make any sense, but it didn't have to. The market was always running out of beans and it was going to severely punish anyone who decided to not give whatever bean they had over to them. We can have all your beans now. Right. Or you can eat this $2.30. So yeah, the, the inverses will will uh, go, go on forever. So that's why, obviously, as a merchandiser, both are can be used to help your basis position to to profit from uh, from basis and get and you profit by like anything in a free market you profit by providing a service to the market right the reason carries exist is because we've got a whole lot of grain and the nearby is depressed in price and the and the deferreds are higher and so the market pays you some sort of premium to hold it for a for a time so that the market needs the space so it pays you and that's when you see the big carries inverses are when the market is out of grain needs it badly the prices are screaming up and they do more so in the nearby and so that they outpace the deferreds and so you actually get penalized for holding but if you can secure grain and sell it now while the market needs it you can capture those inverses um, when what we're talking about is short the basis. So for instance, a price later grain you have in your inventory or no farmers who don't want to price yet and can deliver the grain, you deliver it, lock in the basis while it's high and then roll into these, roll your long futures position into an inverse. You then are the one that are benefiting from an inverse. You're picking mm -hmm. those up. So uh, that's what the grain elevate, how the grain elevator can use them. The, the, the thing is, of course, um, the, and, and what we're, we're talking about here in this segment is you have to be very careful putting those out on way in advance. Right. Because if you look at it from strictly a price later perspective, 
<clears throat> you're going to sell the green because the market's inverted. It's telling you to sell. As a merchant, it says sell now. Whatever you got, price later green, doesn't matter. Sell now and let the, the seller the, or the, the farmer price price it whenever he wants. And in those big bean inversion years, that exactly happened that way, and it worked out really well. The elevator could sell a good basis. The inversion happened. The, the futures market rallied a couple bucks. But the basis, you know, worked out. It went down. Right. So the Typically it does when really there's good. an inverse because sure. we're out of, out of grain. So right. it's not a bad move for a farmer no, 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 to no, wait no. to price not. it necessarily. Absolutely not. And those are a lot of years where price slater's free or, you know, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't cost anything because it's so overwhelmingly in favor of the merchandiser too. Um, so so you've got you've got those things uh, happening when it, when it's uh, like that. But the reason, you you know, Jason said this kind of risky is you got to keep your longs in the nearby because – Unlike along the basis position, when you own the stuff and you are controlling exactly when you spread, you're controlling exactly when you sell, flip-flop here on an inversion, if you went short the basis and sold the basis, now what are you dependent on? The farmer selling. You have little to no control over that. So you don't know if he's going to price now versus the current month or in three months versus another futures month. That's why when these inversions happen, you typically keep your longs in the nearby, uh, unless you just, you guys are creatures of habit and JR never prices until end of June. Well, I'm fine going out and setting that inversion to July, whatever it is, you know, that's extenuating circumstance, I think. But most people, when they're going short the basis, keep the longs nearby just because you don't know when the producer is going to price. So it's hard to make that spread decision then. Right. Right. With a lot of, with a high degree of confidence anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much what I wanted to discuss in this segment. So there's, there's, as we said, a lot bigger risk when you're talking about the inverses as far as setting them ahead and, and stuff. So um, those are also called sell spreads or bear spreads, which is when you're selling the nearby and, or yeah, that's right. Selling the nearby and buying the deferred. And then a carry spread, typical carry spread, uh, you're just buying grain at harvest and carrying it, picking up carries. You're going to be buying the nearby and selling the deferred. This is a lot easier uh, when we're not just talking and, and we have like whiteboards and it's just pretty but, simple. So I hope it doesn't sound too but complex here. If you're setting a bear spread, then you're bullish, right? It's got to be your bull, I think. Ah, there okay. we go. There's the key. Anyways. So in our discussions with inverses, full carries and, and how we capture it, obviously for a merchandiser, what comes into play is managing spreads ahead of time. And Again, you know, drawing it out on a whiteboard, it's pretty simple. But if you're going to hedge your purchases in one month and make a sale in a different futures month, just to allow time between your purchase and sale, a spread will have to occur. And so for the merchandiser, since that obviously you put your basis and your spread together, that's your margin. So however they can manage that spread to their benefit, um, they like to do. So we get into pre-spreading. Go ahead. Now, let me get this straight. Even though I've been a lifelong reader of certain grain publications and I've been told to roll my entire life, you're saying I don't have to do that? Yes. You've sold me. <laughs> it's funny. We used to have a, have a, have a deal. We called it uh, Harvey Horden Puker. And I did that one time. Yeah. We, we even did a little skit at a meeting one time where, where uh, Roger wore a hat. 
And I puked. <laughs> and oh, thank goodness he figuratively didn't do that. speaking. That so is. yeah, we have the the concept of which is most of the grain business is hoard and puke is what we call it. that's the not a gen, genteel term, but. <laughs> but it is a true term. So yeah. everybody thinks that farmers have a lock on this, and that's not the case. Commercial elevators most certainly do as well. Yeah, and the what they do is that we buy it and we hedge it, and then we just wait till the end. Because most years, if we wait till the end, we can get like extra half cent or a penny out of each roll if we just wait till the very end and roll it. So, And it more than makes up for the logistics nightmare if you hold all of your crop until two weeks before the new crop. Right. <laughs> right. As long as there's carry, we keep rolling it. We, we don't even take into account that it, there's an interest cost of carrying grain because we paid for it and haven't sold it. So we don't have the money yet. So makes sense. Of course we're, you know, standard corn carry, you figure conservatively, you know, two cents a month or something, but maybe not even that to carry it forward, but it, it costs something to carry it forward and beans, obviously a lot more cause they're more expensive. Um, you know, Some can, might say two and a half times as that's much. That's math I can do almost in my head. So, um, you know, that beans you're looking at five cents a month or something, depending on how high or low prices are in any given year. But but if the carry isn't paying you that much, uh, so if beans we're talking about usually two months between each uh, futures month. So if if the if the carries aren't paying you 10 cents or more, you're really not getting ahead by rolling it anymore however the hoard and puke mentality is there's carry so the market says i should still carry and things will be okay for me Mm -hmm. um which which doesn't always work the other thing is we've had years where you get to you say all right i'm just gonna carry it until there's no carry and then you know i may come up against a logistic nightmare or i gotta sell a bunch at at the very end but that's the most margin so that's what i'm gonna do dang it and so so folks do that and and i've had years where you know, maybe it's the May July spread, and it's just sitting there at four cents, and it's been there for at four cents or within a penny of that for six months, and you're just holding it. Um, and the May, I said May July, right? So mm-hmm. the May July spread. So you get close to May. Obviously, at the end of April, you got to roll positions if you still have them. And I'm talking about the last two weeks of April. The thing goes from a four cent carry to a fourteen cent inverse, almost almost overnight. And when that happens, well, I, there's only two weeks to roll. I, there's no way I can sell enough to not, I'm going to have to roll into this inverse and lose 14 cents essentially. So the, the which I, is not a desirable thing. <laughs> there you go. So the idea that a merchandiser would expose himself to that sort of risk of a, of a carry going away is, is kind of silly. And so since we know we have to execute that spread if we're carrying it so that far, why not do it ahead of time when it's advantageous? Obviously, you don't do it for just because mm-hmm. I'm going to carry it, so I need to set that spread. Well, you need to set it at a spread that that works. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's it's this active management of it. You know, right. it's you have opportunities, you have choices ahead of the time, ahead of roll day to do something. Um, and, and it's kind of like again, you can uh, liken it to producers selling grain after harvest. You know, it's usually not profit motives that drive sales it's cash needs cash flow hey i've got eight thousand dollar bill sell me however many bushels at today's price to cover it same thing on the elevator when they got to roll it says well logistically i can't take all this so just we'll roll the rest out here and i'll deal with it later same same type of concept when you don't take an active you know early management 
role in it. And um, it's kind of a strange concept to some people. I don't cut my teeth on it, so it seems like common sense just to go ahead and set stuff when you can and not when you have to. But uh, it, definitely not the way uh, of normalcy in the industry, I guess you'd say. And, you know, much like just seasonals on the future, you know, months, there's seasonals on the spreads. They, they trade seasonally as well. If you look at, say, corn and just use Dece March or Dece July, whatever as your, you know, your, your, your benchmark spread, um, typically ahead of harvest, it really doesn't start doing anything until about May, which corresponds with finishing up planting, you know, in a lot of places of the U.S., and it starts building some strength, and you get the pollination, and it's kind of like the inflection point. If it's a decent crop, it's going to kind of just flatten on out. If it's a big crop, it might gain two or three cents between there and roll day. But if we don't have the crop, it starts going downhill from there. So it's it's got a seasonality to it as well. Yeah, and and a lot of seasoned merchandisers, they look at, at locking in carries as pre-spreads as a, as a way to play defense. It's good mm-hmm. insurance to uh, – to go because like we said the mentality is and it's you know is my cynical nature i guess but it's pushed by brokers they want you to roll every month i mean i i don't what what could incentivize them to want you to roll every month i I don't know but money okay but uh so if you set a decent july spread that's one trade but if you set a decent march then a march may and then a may july well that's a few more trades and and they're the Incentive they give you, they give you charts and they say eight, nine out of ten years, you can get an extra penny out of each roll if you just roll. What? Well, I mean, it costs you something to roll those. So I mean, About are penny, you really probably? So. Are you really getting that much ahead? And uh, maybe you get a couple cents. And 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 sure, maybe eight out of ten years you do make money ahead. It won't be very much, but it'll be a little bit extra ahead. However, we never talk about those two out of ten years. <laughs> and those two out of ten years are the years Roger was talking about earlier in the in the episode. Uh, for those of you just joining us, we're talking about spreads. That's that's brand- not how podcasts oh, work. No, okay, all right, sorry. But anyways, um, you were talking about earlier how you make money in it in versus, and one of the ways without being even short the basis is just being proactive on managing spreads and what you're doing. So a lot of people think pre spreads are speculation. What do you say on that, Roger? Nope. Uh, it's it's no more speculation than buying a bunch of grain or selling a bunch that you that are versus two different futures months that you haven't spread on. You're speculating that the roll is going to be there when you need it by not pre-spreading. That's just as much speculation as putting it on ahead of time. Right. And you know, the most people I know when they're looking at pre-spreading, they're not doing 100% of anticipated needs. Just like producers when we're talking about forward contracting – Hey, get a get a benchmark. Let's do let's work for, you know, if you got a 75% APH guarantee on your crop insurance, let's 75% of your crop. Let's have sold by harvest. Same mentality with pre-spreading. Let's get I like 75%. You know, at the beginning of the season, put in 25% of the targets at the highs that this, they've been at in the last year or something. Just throw it up there. You got a lot of time. Uh, once it gets corn, covers 230% of interest costs, set some of that and then just have a target somewhere in between those two to set another 25% by, you know, pollination for corn or pod set for beans. Mm-hmm. But going into harvest, have, 20, you know, up to 75%. Some people do 50. Some people do do 100. It's whatever your program, and you you know your program better than anyone else, but you, you, you'd you be defensive on it and you take uh, uh, opportunity off the table when it's there. And you leave yourself a little wiggle room. I, th- I think you should at the end in case you don't get it all. But you see this a lot on bean spreads. 
if you're in an area where harvest starts typically the 20th, 25th of October, well, you get a weather hiccup and you're pushed back. Harvest doesn't start till the first week of November. Well, guess what? If you pre-spread Nova on out, you maybe you didn't get all those used up. So you always got to have a little yeah. wiggle room there for stuff in your particular market. Yeah, spreads can only hurt you if you don't use them. If you don't use them, that's right. Right. So and and then you have to take them off and and then and and sometimes they don't hurt you and that that's why a lot of people have the hundred percent mentality. I say a lot, but some people do have that mentality because they say, all right, spreads. Obviously, I'm setting them because they're good carries, right? So they're generally strong, and so I'm going to set them. 100% of my needs, if we end up not growing a crop, probably the spreads won't be big anymore and I can take it off and I'll, and I'll actually, you know, pick something up mm-hmm. from them is, is their thought. Not that they're speculating on spreads, but they see here's an opportunity. The market's willing to pay me to carry grain. I will, I will do that. And I'm set up for this year because going back to those one or two out of 10 years, when it goes away, if you don't have anything locked in, you know, you're taking in all your grain at harvest time. You can't move it before, before the, mm-hmm. you know, you got to start rolling to the next month. And if there's flat inverted markets, you are losing money uh, real fast. So that's, if I lock in, was it 2012? We had customers that would lock in 26, 28 cent carry decent of July. Well, then it didn't rain all summer anywhere. And all of a sudden, decent July was inverted 25, 30 cents. And those people, it didn't matter to them. I, I mean, I say it didn't matter, but they had their carries locked in. So they were able to function as normal, carry uh, carry crops forward, and that year creates a lot of basis volatility. They got better than usual basis numbers, and but still had a carry market set while all the rest of the country was trying to get rid of everything they could as soon as they could because there was big inverses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it gave them a huge strategic advantage just by doing the simple thing that they do every year, just set it when it's a decent carry and have some carry locked in. And it, I mean, and that, and that's how we see those inverse years. There are a lot of people that, you know, they made huge, mm-hmm. well, we just said 50 cents or so just in the spread change, plus the basis improvement and, and all that stuff they got. And um, those years can be huge boom years for elevators if they're just, managing their pre-spreads well and you think about too if you're if you're an elevator and you also have a feed mill as part of your business or you're supplying someone that needs corn year round um and you got to carry corn and you let a carry get by you and you now you're faced with an inversion but you regardless have to carry corn or if you got to load trains or whatever it is you kind of need to be a little defensive on on the spreads yeah on the carry spreads yeah it's just good risk management I mean, that is a risk that is definitely part of your business. You have to manage it. And so just wait until rolls is, that's very reactive. It's whatever the market happens to be at roll time. Yep. And uh, it's it's not the not the best way to manage your business, uh, in my opinion. But, uh, so the other, the other side of that is, of course, uh, setting inverses ahead. Uh, we talk about carry. And the reason why people do 75%, 100% of, of their carry needs is because what we talked about early on. Uh, the concept of full carry, right? They can only go against them so much. What I mean by going against, keep going to bigger carries, right? So they know if they're in the pretty close to the top range of what it can be. However, if part of your business practice is shorten the basis, 
you know, your beans, you try to get them moved real quick and sell everything you own plus your DP bushels and, and short the basis. And you see a Jan, March, Jan, May inverse, you think that would work good mm -hmm. in my program, mm -hmm. right? And so you could lock that in ahead of time. However, nobody's locking in 100% of what they think in that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, very few lock in much at all because that inverse can go forever. Roger and I learned that mm -hmm. lesson uh, Yeah. A few years back. Now, we'll say that there are some times where, and SEPD's corn spread comes to mind, where, you know, where we were at in southeast Kansas was if I'm selling or buying ahead for harvest, it's versus the SEP. And we start harvest the last week of August. And there were some years where I had to get some sales made versus the SEP for SEP delivery ahead of time just to have a spot to, to, to ship, turn, and burn corn at harvest. And uh, if I had more sold than I had bought, now my risk is, well, if these farmers don't price by the end of August, if we just start on the 25th, I, I might have these long September futures that I've got to roll to a decent set. So usually a 10 cent carrier better. That That's a risk for me. So I would go out, and you can even see it now, a year or two out, SEPDs will trade inverted a lot of times. Just because ahead of time it seems to be a transition spread when we get there to it. It's actually the market's like, oh, we've harvest started harvesting corn in Georgia in July. It's it's a new crop spread now. It tends to make that flip. So I use that mainly to help me if I had to roll long futures from set to D's forward, at least I had an inversion. So that made that it didn't go yeah. against me basis wise as opposed to just waiting for the roll, which was a carry usually, and it hurt me. So there's times where we use that, but I, you know, as far as what percentage, it was still a very conservative amount just because, you know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say at that point. Yeah. It's, it's pretty straightforward to recognize that a grain elevator business as a merchandiser, your price risk and your basis risk. And, and manage those things. And, and, and most merchandisers, they, they do manage those two things. However, the, the spread risk is something people overlook a lot of times. And just like Roger was saying, it's selling SEP for SEP. Well, you know, there are, there are some issues there with the spread because come September, we won't be able to really tra trade the SEP futures anymore. So you got that risk, but you got other risks um, of either carrying inventory over time or shorten the basis uh, that... If you just manage and take whatever happens, uh, it's 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 leaving a lot to chance, and you know we need to manage that risk. So, anyways, that's a, so the next uh, so that's pre spreads. The next section and final section I wanted to get into is the accounting, the finance side. Oh, the of fun stuff, spread management, right? Um, now, keep in mind that Roger and I are going to speak from our perspective. We don't have a an accounting or finance guru on the show, so we'll just we'll take it from there. But maybe in a future episode, we do uh, we do get someone like get Jeff back, Jeff Reardon back on the show. Yeah, or that something. guy knows. Yeah. But there's a couple issues that come up with spread management that that come in from periphery, from your accounting and from your banker. They uh, they have issues sometimes with them. So we just wanted to talk about that, how it affects the merchandiser and what they see. So first we'll, we'll start with the accounting. Roger, have you ever encountered issues with uh, merchandisers and accountants when it comes to spreads? Uh, yeah, all the time. And you know, the, the big thing is, is mark to market accounting end of month and um, realize versus uh, realize versus unrealized gains or losses and making that point where the accounting uh, understands the merchandising 
in how spreads affect things over time. I mean, if you just bought and sold the same month all the time, it, there'd probably be no issues. Um, but there's year, there's there's months where at the end of the month you got marked to market. Well, you've got all your inventory hedged in a future month out, and then you know, so you don't have any nearby futures, but you got deferred, and you got to mark to market those futures and sales and stuff, and th- and that can throw things for a loop. Throw in a roll month. Let's say it's November in November, and you're rolling your dece wheat or dece corn. That's another set because now you have some realized futures gains or losses and you've pushed the sales or purchases on out there. It's just, it's a reconciliation thing. And as a merchandiser, you know exactly, hey, I bought it here, I spread it here, sold this, here's my margin. The accountants don't see that. They see futures equity, they see cash equity if you've done your mark to market properly. And, you know, there's just things that don't look kosher to them on that side of it. And then that's the point when I say, please call Jeff Reardon. But drawing out T accounts, as we call them, of, hey, here's where you bought, here's where you sold, the prices you bought and sold, cash, and then each of the futures. Because what happens is, like you're saying, when when you have a position and then you start moving it forward, so you bought it, you've sold futures, and then you have to move that position to another futures month. Well, the price has changed since you've done that spread and you bought the, the grain in that instance. and the But the accountant gets gets all the documentation and your futures statement says you're hedged out in July at at 420 and you're you have cash ownership of 411 and you say no I own it at 52 under and they say no I think you own it at 9 under because here's your futures and here's your cash well what they what they don't see in the middle was you had a big realized gain on maybe the dece futures or something between when when the grain was bought and when the spread happened and so they've just they it's a, the realized, unrealized gain thing, right? They've realized the gain in the futures and these futures aren't on your statement anymore. They just, it's just cash in the account, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I do, I get on, I get on conference calls with merchandisers and accountants and he's like, you own it at nine under, I own it at 52 under, you know, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. And, uh, it's cut and dry and it's uh, understanding. an understanding. <laughs> 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 I'm just glad to be here, you know? And, uh, <laughs> And, and, uh, but anyways, but simply, if you can draw those T accounts, you yeah. can, you can explain it and everybody can it's see the it. The first better. step to understanding. The second one is the mark to market, of course, Jeff teaches. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but that's, that's a little frustration that comes up with, yeah. uh, with the accounting side of spreads. And then uh, the other side, of course, or other part of this side is, is the lending side and <laughs> making margin calls on spreads you're not going to use for a long time. Right. That can be uh, very difficult to explain mm-hmm. uh, because, well, in general, this is the thing Jeff's taught me is banks do not loan money for margin calls. They do not do that. Mm-hmm. They loan money on assets. So if you have an asset that has changed value and, you know, then we can we can loan money out based Which on Which would be inventory and, and still for a lot of folk, grain contracts, forward contracts. Yeah. So I got inventory, I've got, I got hedged cash bushels and the price has changed. So they, you know, then obviously you get a margin call and there's a cash flow implication, but the bank can say, well, that asset that you bought for $3 is now worth three twenty-two. So yes, mm-hmm. we can loan that, you know, uh, they don't necessarily loan because for a margin call. Right. However, <laughs> when a spread changes, you put a, a big spread position on and it goes uh, against you in the futures account and there's a margin call implication for that, 
then it's yikes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's times there'd be years where the spreads are really good. You set some and maybe you haven't got anything bought yet and you probably don't have anything sold yet for that time frame. So it, it's very easy to, to find yourself in that position as well. Um, it's just good to, to understand before you do it what the implications are. Yeah, just just know that's probably not going to fly on the borrowing base uh, and everything. The a margin call on a spread position. Yeah, because there's no like you said, no purchases and sales. It, it makes it pretty tough. So, um, so anyways, that have and that and that's another reason why for pre spreads, uh, typically you're not going to do many of those unless it's a, the, for locking and carries. Right. Right. So let's say you've gone through rally season in the summer, been buying a bunch of four contract grain. You start getting some pre-spreads on. Why is it pre-spread? You've already bought the grain. Well, it's pre-spread because you're doing it ahead of the roll. You set some stuff, you push some of that stuff out to March, to May, July, whatever your carrying plan is, whatever your grain flow plan dictates. You do that, at least what you got, just so you've got that much locked in. And let's face it, there's three things in merchandising, buy basis, sell basis, spreads. If you can get buy basis and spreads done before you even get to harvest, Hey, great. Now I got to sell the stuff. Yeah. Then you, then you win basis. Then money falls from the sky. That's right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a definitely an issue that comes up from time to time. And, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll get experts, I'm sure to talk on the podcast uh, about these topics in the future, but we could, we can share our merchandising bent on it and, uh, and how that, how that affects, affects us so anyways but that exhausts our topic list for randy today, looks exhausted just yeah he wasn't paying attention at all today that's incredible it's crazy but thanks randy zen like indifference but anyways we appreciate you as always our our loyal listeners randy tells us we're got like twenty two thousand downloads now so we appreciate you guys listening and please continue to uh share this with all your friends and and your close family and members. your enemies Oops. yes fine with that well yeah anybody that can download it uh you just you just let them do it i guess but we appreciate it. you like comment uh and and uh obviously if you haven't subscribed subscribe and reach out to us we're on twitter at elevators cut and tell us where we went wrong or what you'd like us to cover in addition or in more depth uh, when it comes to spreads or anything, I guess. But spreads, uh, spreads, I'm sure, will be a recurring theme. It's what people in Every the, merchandising, year. the merchandising world <laughs> like to uh, like to talk about. So, um, yeah, so get at us on any of those uh, formats and any of those meaning Twitter. I think that's it. But anyways, so that's been it for, for this show. So for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Nope.